If you can't wait a whole month for our next episode, you can join our Patreon membership for early releases and exclusive content for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash transgender school. And you can rent our 90-minute course, Transgender Allyship 101, where we reenact my coming out and teach you how to be a true ally to any trans person in your life at vimeo.com slash on demand slash trans ally. Welcome to the Transgender School podcast, where we talk about diverse LGBTQ identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. I'm Bridget. My daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman when she was 19. I was totally unprepared, but I've learned a lot since then. When I came to terms with my identity, I realized that I needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now I want to help other trans people navigate their own experiences. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 37 of the Transgender School podcast. Today, we wanted to give you a little update about anti-trans legislation, which you may have been seeing a lot about in the news. There's been a lot going on. One of the things that we've been hearing a lot about is that the Ohio governor just vetoed a bill that would have blocked care for minors. We're going to talk a little bit about the realities of that, but just a little bit of context and background if, if you are not aware of where things stand, it's really important to know that as of January 7, which is the day we're recording this, according to Aaron Reed's transgender legislative risk maps, we're now at 21 states that have completely banned all gender affirming care for transgender youth, 21 states. Another four have other laws and policies that heavily target transgender youth and two states could go either way. I found this shocking as much as I try to keep up with things. I wasn't aware that it had risen to that degree and that we are here where we are. So Jackie, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, as if that weren't bad enough, six states have also passed laws that target trans adults in really harmful ways, with Florida standing out as the worst with a law that allows trans people to actually be arrested for using the bathroom that corresponds to their gender identity. So Erin Reed, who produced these maps, you can find them at erinandthemorning.com. She has actually advised, and I, I believe some LGBTQ rights organizations have advised that trans people should not travel to Florida. And I definitely would not travel to Florida if I did not have to for some reason right now. So I think that's really horrible. That's just one example. The other five in this category of six states also have a variety of restrictions ranging from bathroom bans to prohibitions on name and gender changes on birth certificates and other official documents, which make it really hard or impossible to exist as a trans person in day-to-day -day life. Another 10 states have passed some laws targeting trans adults, for example, prohibiting gender-affirming care for incarcerated adults, legally defining sex as binary, and permitting the refusal of medical care to LGBTQ individuals on religious grounds. And another 10 states, in addition to those, have passed some variety of religious refusal rights bills, don't say gay bills, or other milder forms of anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ laws. 
the latest development that my mom referenced at the start of this episode in the state-by-state state fight for trans rights came on December 29th when Republican Ohio Governor Mike DeWine surprised a lot of people by vetoing a measure that would have banned gender-affirming care for minors. He argued at the time that decisions about such care should be left to parents. Then, on January 5th, a week later, he announced a new series of administrative rules that restrict gender-affirming care for both transgender youth and adults in Ohio. These restrictions largely mirror restrictions implemented by red states to limit access to abortion and other reproductive health care. In this case, they require that a psychiatrist, an endocrinologist, and a bioethicist sign off before any individual, adult or child, receives hormones or surgery. They also implement a six-month waiting period for anyone under the age of 21 seeking gender-affirming care, and they require providers, this is one of the scariest parts, they require providers to report every diagnosis of gender dysphoria and associated treatment plans to the state within 30 days. These are similar to restrictions that have also been implemented in Florida, which forced many adults and youth off their hormones and other gender-affirming care and led many trans people to flee the state. We actually recently heard from the mother of a trans teen in a state that has completely banned gender-affirming care for minors, and we will share the question she asked us and our response on our next Q&A, which is available on our Patreon. Unfortunately, there's not a lot parents can do in cases like this. There are ways to access gender-affirming care in violation of these state laws. For example, California just passed a law that will protect providers who prescribe hormones to youth out of state, but that doesn't protect trans youth or their families actually living in those states from prosecution under these laws. So it's a really difficult landscape out there. There are a lot of trans people and their families fleeing these states, and it's a really difficult time to be trans in a lot of this country. Absolutely. Thank you for making all that clear. And I hope people really take that in and digest and stay up to date. I know that I saw, and actually people had sent me a lot of messages about the Ohio governor vetoing the anti-trans bill as if that was a huge win. So it's really important to stay on top of how things are evolving because, of course, he completely turned around and then supported the legislation that would not allow people to have the care they needed. It could seem so heartening. You know, he said ultimately he had to decide that he could not support legislation that bans health care that so many parents, families, and doctors have told him is saving lives. I feel like that was overreported. And I didn't come across until you told me about it, Jackie, the reversal of that when what he actually did was then go ahead and just create a system where it is it is near impossible and is banned for people to get the care they need. Well, it's a smart move politically, right? Because he can, on one hand, say that he vetoed this law because he doesn't believe it's the government's place to decide whether youth should have access to this health care, that it should be up to them, their parents, their doctors. So he can say that, on one hand, to people who are concerned about these restrictions. But on the other hand, he can turn around to the people who want these restrictions and say, yeah, I vetoed that bill, but look at all the other things I did. Look at how hard I made it to access health care for trans people in this state, both for adults and for youth, which is an important thing to point out because he actually in some ways went a lot further than what this bill that he vetoed would have done, especially in the restrictions imposed on trans adults. It's important to understand that a lot of trans people get 
access to hormones through what's called informed consent, which basically means you say, I understand that the risks, the side effects, whatever I'm taking on, this is important to me. I need these hormones. And that is the model that works really well. And frankly, I think saves a lot of lives by providing trans people access to care. Trans people who in a lot of cases don't have access to psychiatric care, don't have access to these teams of medical professionals, because we understand that insurance, unfortunately, in many cases is tied to your employment. And a lot of insurance doesn't cover gender affirming care. And so for a lot of trans people, the reality is they just don't have the resources to go get all of those approvals. And this means that they're either going to have to leave the state or go off of their hormones. And that's really a terrible, terrible position to put someone in. This is a decision not to be made in the political arena by states, by governments. This is a very personal decision for families and their medical care providers. If you do not have a transgender child, you probably know very little about what the evidence-based protocols are and what entire, without exception in the legitimate medical community, it is agreed upon that this is absolutely necessary care. And we also know, as we've talked about before, suicide rates, depression rates, all kinds of mental health outcomes are significantly negatively impacted by not being permitted to have the care that you need that's medically necessary. I think a lot of people may not realize that parents in these situations are kind of in shock. A lot of this legislation just happened in 2023. We're starting to get a lot more messages from parents asking us. And I know we're going to talk about this more in our Patreon membership because we just want to say we do have a Patreon membership that's for our community that's that's helping to fund us, which we're so grateful for. And so it's really important for us to provide them with exclusive content and to, to work with them directly in supporting them and what they're struggling with. And that's what we're referring to. But, but also that Patreon membership is available to any of you who want to support our work financially. But we're going to talk about it in much more detail there. But just to generally say that a lot of parents are reaching out to us just in shock and reeling and saying, is, is this really true. I can't leave my state. We have our family here and our work here and saying, I thought there would be some other way. We thought we'd be able to get around this. We thought we'd be able to prove, but our kid has already been on hormones and is absolutely transgender and has transitioned. And they're cutting off care for these kids who've already gone through all the process of transition. It's unimaginable to us. And, and we just want you to know that parents are really struggling and and trying to figure out how on earth to deal with this to, in a lot of cases, just allow their kids to thrive and live their lives as they need to. This is not extra care. This is not optional care. This is, this is very real and very dire. Yeah, I've said this before in our podcast, but I think it can't be pointed out enough that we are really in the middle of a process of dividing ourselves into two countries with two very different sets of rights on trans rights and abortion rights in particular, but also a variety of other issues. And I wish that weren't the case. I wish that we had a strong progressive federal government that could guarantee these civil rights across the country and for lack of a better word, kind of force those who are not on board to get with the program. But that's not the reality that we have in this country. And so I think we have to try to solidify the the safe havens that we have in the in the states we have where people are safe or relatively safer. And I think we have to try to make those places as accessible as possible for people who are fleeing states that are not safe for trans people and trans youth. And so 
that's not something we usually talk about on this podcast. I've brought it up once or twice, but that for me also always comes back to housing policy and to saying that we in California and other blue states, we have some of the highest cost of living. We don't build nearly as much housing as a lot of red states do, which is a big part of why they have lower cost of living. We really need to have an honest conversation about actually living the values that we express and uh, not being nimbies, frankly, with our land and allowing developers to build as much housing as possible. I think local governments, I live in San Francisco and I won't name names, but some of our supervisors were just talking about filing a lawsuit against the state for trying to force us to build more housing. And I think that's really shameful. We should be trying to build as much housing as possible. We should be trying to welcome as many people who are fleeing their states that are hostile. And we should be trying to make that an affordable and accessible process. And so got a long ways to go here in the blue states to actually create the safe havens that we claim to be. Thank you, Jackie, for bringing all that up. Of course, it's related and people need to be aware and things are happening locally that people need to know how this impacts the LGBTQ community if they consider themselves allies. I also encourage people to really listen to the stories of the people who are moving out of state. I've seen lots of posts and stories of families tragically saying they've had to sell off everything they own, sell their home, uproot their family, take their kids to a state, to a blue state where they can get the medical affirming care that they need. And this dramatically impacts their financial wellness and their family's ability to thrive. And if anybody's out there thinking, oh, this just impacts just a few people, there are hundreds of thousands of trans youth that are impacted right now at this moment. It's not a small handful. And we're talking about roughly half the states in our country. We are not talking about red pockets of parts of the country. We're not talking about just a handful of youth. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of youth that we know are impacted right now and their families are reeling and this is dire and this is tragic. And as Jackie said, there's there's not housing, there's not the ability to just pick up and move for most of the folks. And we need to be aware of the reality of this. To use the Ohio law as just one of many examples, there are people, trans youth, who are on hormones today who already have access to gender affirming care and adults who are going to be pulled off of that care that they already have access to as a result of these new restrictions. Yeah. And we've heard That's, we've heard from those adults as well who went to just get their continued their to renew prescriptions and we're not able to because of the new regulations. And people are like, wait, but this isn't affecting adults. But hopefully you heard Jackie earlier about they're putting new regulations in place of needing all these approvals and and diagnoses and different input from different supposed professionals. And so it makes it virtually impossible for adults as well. Yeah, it's, it's death by a thousand cuts in a lot of ways. Exactly. So I feel like we should just at least briefly speak to why this is so important, because I think there's this mindset of, well, why can't they just wait till they're 18? And I, I really want to at least put something in here about that's not an option. That's not if you don't know any trans youth, you might simply think that. And we want you to know the reality about what that means. Do you want to speak to that, Jackie? 
Yeah, I mean, I would encourage people to listen to a lot of the episodes we've done with providers of gender affirming healthcare because they're definitely the experts in this field and, and they can speak in much more detail to why this is so important than we can. Suffice it to say that when you look at the consensus of medical experts, the consensus is that youth need to have access to this care and that it is a life or death matter for a lot of kids. And that's it's not to scare people. That's just the reality of it is that that is what it is. So you can try to deny that. And uh, frankly, a lot of parents try to deny that. And it's not right. And it's very dangerous for you and your kid to try to deny that. Exactly. And usually the parents, when their kids first come out, this is more on the personal side of what we've seen and what I've seen so much of. Usually the parents are not on board. You know, the parents are being accused of pushing drugs and pushing surgeries on their kids. And it's the vast majority of the time, it's the other way around. The kid has to be persistent, yeah. consistent, repeatedly explain to their parent what they're experiencing, what they know about who they are, what they need. The, these young people know there's no question. No, There are no adults or parents grooming kids or forcing surgeries or, or drugs on kids. That is just, please know that when you hear these stories, they're completely fabricated. There is absolutely zero evidence to suggest that any of that is true. And our experience and in my experience with really thousands of families in this situation, in the various online and virtual and real world support groups and discussion groups, that's not happening. So please do not believe those lies. So on a slightly lighter note, at least I find this pretty entertaining. We'll, we'll wrap up today's episode by talking about an example of someone being proven wrong in an effort to try to attack trans people. So a gender critical, which is a fancy way of saying transphobic artist named Sarah Vachi, I'm probably butchering this, but I don't really care. Sarah Vachi set out to do portraits of 100 detransitioned women. Nearly two years ago, she started this project with a fair amount of funding and support from high profile anti-trans figures. She is still only at 56 portraits worldwide. And now before she's reached 100, some of those 56 have started to drop out of the project and request that their portraits be removed. Unclear why, are they changing their opinions? Are they retransitioning? I don't know, Sarah's not telling us. Four years ago, the gender critical movement claimed that they were in touch with hundreds, hundreds of young detransitioners in the UK alone but somehow today, this gender critical artist is struggling to get 100 subjects after an exhaustive, years long worldwide search. That's really interesting. That doesn't seem to make sense. She is still putting out public calls for participants and still searching worldwide. And this is even after having her work promoted by J.K. Rowling, who's supposed to be in touch with lots of detransitioned people. So I, I just bring this up to highlight this myth of detransition as this widespread thing, this myth of regret as this widespread thing. And I think it goes to show that out of the millions of trans people around the world, you have maybe 56 who are willing to raise their hand and say, this was a mistake, I wish I hadn't transitioned. And it's especially relevant when we're talking about 
all of these restrictions. Because you know what I don't see any states doing is requiring an endocrinologist, bioethicist, and psychiatrist to sign off every time someone wants to get plastic surgery. I went to a Catholic high school where I would not have been allowed to use the bathroom that corresponds with my gender identity had I come out while I was there. But I knew multiple people who got nose jobs before they were 18. Their parents paid for it. Did they have to get a psychiatrist, endocrinologist, and bioethicist to sign off? Did the Catholic people who ran the school care? No. So it's interesting where we choose to care about these things. Yeah, a lot of hypocrisy. It's, it's clearly anti-trans driven. And, uh, and as you pointed out, it's a political game to try to win votes because of people's fear and ignorance. And it's half the people, most of the people who are pushing for these laws, they don't really care one way or the other about trans people. They just They just know it will win them votes. I bet I could find 100 people who regret their plastic surgery or their Botox or their nose job or whatever they did for cosmetic reasons and do portraits right. of them. Right. If you've been on a search for two years globally for women who regret transitioning and you've only found 56, that 56 could be explained a lot of other ways than that they really weren't trans. I was just, just looked up that according to the UCLA Williams Institute, which is pretty reputable studies on trans people, they say that just in the US alone, 1.6 million adults identify as transgender now. So if there's all these people who are detransitioning and saying they're not actually transgender and they were wrong, wow, you can't find at a 1.6 million just in the US. And she's only found over two years, 56 globally, who say that they were wrong about this. So, yeah, look at the numbers, people. If you don't know anybody who's trans, you got to believe us because these messages out there, they're not based in any kind of reality or fact or evidence or true lived experience. They're just not. And they're just talking points for conservative politicians to win votes. That's all they are. These people don't even actually care about transgender people one way or the other. And they've admitted that in their weaker moments of letting things like that slip. Trump has definitely said that. <laughs> We've talked about that previously. So I think that's our piece for today for the podcast. So please stay updated on what's happening. This just in the last year is it's unbelievable to me what has happened. We started transgender school three years ago. This wasn't at the top of the things we were talking about. We were talking about family support and education around understanding trans people's diverse experiences. And now this, it just in the last year, this anti-trans attack against basic human rights to be who you are and have your needs met is just shocking and, and really incredibly frightening, terrifying to me. Yeah. And I wish I could say it were almost over or it was slowing down. But unfortunately, that's not the case because the rate at which anti-trans bills have been introduced in state legislatures across the country in the first week of 2024 has far outpaced the rate at which they were introduced in 2023 when we saw more of these bills passed than ever before. So I think the fight is going to continue. It's going to ramp up. I'll do one more plug for Erin Reed, who is doing the most thorough, most consistent reporting on these bills. She is reading every single bill and reporting them and creating maps that show the risk state by state. So again, I would encourage everyone, erininthemorning.com. Again, that's erininthemorning.com, E-R-I-N, inthemorning.com. Definitely check her out, subscribe, and support her work as well. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. 
Thanks. And you can support us too and our work by joining our Patreon membership or renting or encouraging other people to rent our 90 minute video on how to be an ally. And those links will always be right here in the notes below wherever you're watching or listening. Thanks everybody. See you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month. 